welcome to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. Our podcast is here to help teachers, leaders and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. Welcome back to the After the Bell podcast. Georgie here, Director of Learning and Development. And you're joining our series of podcasts focusing on students with SEND. I'm joined by Andy Bridge, a current deputy head teacher, and Debbie Davis, head teacher of an independent special school experience SENCO. It's crucial that whatever our role is in education, we take proactive steps to support students with SEND to thrive. We specifically look at how TAs can be deployed to have the biggest impact on students with SEND. And in this series, our focus remains on supporting students with SEND, but through a broader lens, considering the ways we can all help. In today's episode, we're going to consider what great teaching and learning looks like for students with SEND. And we will discuss strategies that can be adopted across a school or in individual classrooms that will support students with SEND to make excellent progress. So good afternoon, Andy and Debbie. Great to have you both with us again. Hello. Hello. Great to have you here. So our starting point today, Debbie, for today's discussion is the um, EEF's five a day for SEND strategy, which are five teaching and learning strategies that are best placed to support students with SEND. Can you talk us through the five recommendations? Absolutely. As you say, this is a list of five approaches that are really focused on what teachers can do in the classroom day in and day out. So they are number one, flexible flexible grouping, which is self-evident, um, where you might mix up your groups uh, every day or you might have a plan on your lesson plan uh, within the week um, and, and you can literally move groupings around to make learning more effective. Two is cognitive and metacognitive strategies. We're going to talk about those a little bit later. And explicit instruction is number three. And four is using technology to support students with SEND. That really does work. Um, and we'll talk about examples of that, what that might look like. And using scaffolding. And we've got some good ideas up, up our sleeve to talk about later on as well. But those, those are the domains there from the Education Endowment Foundation uh, five a day for SEND that we can unpick somewhat later. Thank you, Debbie. So shall we consider each of those in turn to really look in detail at what teachers can do at a really practical level to embed each of these? Andy, do you, do you want to start us off with uh, the flexible grouping? Um, so this recommendation is based on um, a research finding that a lot of students with EHCPs um, or that are classified as SEND are grouped together with other students uh, with SEND or students that are deemed low attainers all of the time regardless of what their specific strengths and weaknesses are in particular subjects or particular skills, they just find themselves in, in that bottom set. All um, so it's really, as we've said, looking at, at an individual and thinking about their strengths and weaknesses. And actually, they're probably not all performing in every single area. So it might be that they struggle with reading, but they're really able at maths and therefore their grouping should reflect that and be flexible rather than that blanket approach of putting them in bottom set for everything. So that's what it can look like across the curriculum, but 
even within an individual lesson, a teacher might decide that after they've done their input. So the whole class are going to gather a, a small group together of students with SEND. Um, they might re-explain the task, break it down into small chunks and then disperse those students back to their original place in the seating plan. So basically it's just being responsive, being reflect, sorry, responsive um, and flexible rather than just assuming that because a student's got SEND, it should be with low attainment students for their full time table. So that really goes back to knowing your students really well, which we, we really focused in on last last podcast. So Debbie, what about the second recommendation around using cognitive and metacognitive strategies? OK, so cognition is the mental process involved in knowing, understanding and learning. Cognitive strategies are skills like memorization techniques or subject specific strategies like methods to solve problems in maths. Cognitive strategies uh, are the essential strategies that underpin effective teaching. When we talk about metacognition, this refers to the ways in which pupils monitor and direct their own thinking and learning. Metacognitive strategies are strategies that are we use to monitor or control our cognition, such as checking whether our approach to solving a mathematics problem worked or considering which cognitive strategy is the best fit for a task. Basically, metacognition uh, and metacognitive thinking is thinking about thinking and making sure that students know how to do this so they can arrive at the right answers and use the right thought processes to get there. Some strategies that the Education Endowment Foundation recommend include explicitly teaching pupils metacognitive strategies, including how to plan, monitor and evaluate their own learning. Also model your own thinking to help pupils develop their metacognitive and cognitive skills. For example, the might be really talking through in detail what your thought process was when you when you model a certain response to an answer so there's a french teacher uh, regardless of of if the students have uh, special educational needs or not it's good practice to model your thought processes so you i will speak about visualizers later but you might have a visualizer on the screen where you literally work through the answer and and speak your own thought processes. How did I get there? Why did I put an E on the end of that word? Why did I choose that word? And it helps the children to arrive at a, 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 a better way of, of thinking. Also, explicitly teach pupils how to organise and effectively manage their learning independently. For example, teaching them how to plan essays or how to approach homework rather than just assuming that they already know it will be a great source of stress to some students, but to actually explain what that looks like and, and, and actually have a strategy to support them really does help. These strategies will help all students, but especially important those students who have a special educational need or disability really. That's a really key point, Debbie. So these approaches benefit everybody and, and all our students, but especially students with STEND. So if they're going to benefit everyone, the teachers really can achieve a lot of good by embracing these approaches sort of generally within the classroom. 
The next recommendation focuses in around instructions, Andy, and it does link back to our first ever series of the After the Bell podcast, which seems ages ago now, where we unpacked and discussed Rosenshine's principles of instruction. It, it does. It's exactly that. So Rosenshine talks about it a lot. Um, he refers to explicit instruction basically being a range of teacher-led approaches um, that really focus on demonstration, teacher input, followed by guided practice, and that then leading to... So explicit instruction isn't just lecturing students, but usually starts with a really clear, well-thought-out teacher explanation. You then follow that up with lots and lots and lots of practice, uh, practice exercises that students work through with your input and with your support. And later on, once they've mastered that with the support, leave them to it and they do. Work. And that sounds really common sense. Um, and, you know, as do the, these various approaches within um, instruction, but they work. So things like teaching skills and concepts and breaking them down into really small steps where students master one step before you use the next one. Using examples and then giving non-examples so students can see that contrast. Being really clear and unambiguous with your language use, thinking ahead about what misconceptions students might have and anticipating them and, and planning for them to arrive, arise. And then finally, be really clear with students what they do need to know, what's the essential con content, and then remove any any extra content to distract them. Move that and all of those things together. They're really simple, they're dead straightforward, but they will help students attend. That sounds really, really quite common sense, but also quite powerful. We did, did discuss this a lot when we looked at Rosenshine's principles in a lot of depth and, and the, the great strategies don't create additional workload for the teacher, but they can have a huge impact. So if you get a chance, go back and listen to uh, unpick these a bit further. Um, and that was season one of the After the Bell podcast. Debbie, the next recommendation is about the use of technology to support learning and what might that look like? I'm glad that you've that you've asked that question, Georgie. The, the research does show that for pupils who do have special educational needs and disabilities, technology can be a useful tool for supporting teaching. For example, there are lots of instructional apps, apps that provide instruction, modelling or practice opportunities for a wide range of skills that could be a great homework as it provides that extra support that students may need rather than working completely on their own. There are also non-instructional apps, for example, apps that provide tools to aid learning, such as note-taking apps. Students with communication difficulties, speech generating apps could be really beneficial too. Um, uh, ultimately, uh, this is about thinking about what your students' barriers to learning are and seeing if there is a way that technology can support this. And I mentioned the visualizer um, earlier, and uh, it's an absolutely brilliant tool within. It's a great example. It's so powerful for being able to model to students and, and it links with the metacognitive talk too. So you can you can deliver something using a visual visualizer. It's displayed on the on the screen in real time. You can talk through your own thinking and and go meta as as one might say. 
sounds like 21st century going meta. So uh, I love that concept. There's so much technology out there now that can really help and so much of it's free as well. So maybe that will be a good legacy of the COVID era, if nothing else. Many of us have had to get quickly get more comfortable with technology. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a, a great bonus. Andy, the last recommendation is around scaffolding. Can you talk us through this as well? Yeah, of course. So, again, we looked at this in uh, Rosenstein's principles, but scaffolding, you know, it's a metaphor. If we think about scaffolding up the side of a building, it's that temporary support um, that we need for a short period of time. Once we no longer need it, we remove it. You would never find a building company that would be for scaffolding at once a building's finished. But for a short time, whilst it's being constructed, they need that scaffolding. Um, so it can look like lots of different things. So initially, it's going to be that teacher providing some form of support so that the student can successfully complete the tasks that without the scaffolding they do on their own. It might be visual, it might be verbal, it might be written. So I'm um, thinking sentence starters, a word bank, maybe just some verbal prompts. To, to help the student access the task. And then as over a number of lessons, a number of weeks and months, the teacher gradually removes that support, the scaffolding, as the pupil becomes more confident at completing independently. Um, you know, if the student's got particularly significant SEND issues, that scaffolding might need to be in place for a little bit longer to really promote the confidence and competence. Once it's sustained, it's always important that we do remove the scaffolding. And it's just really a great way of making sure that students with SEND reach the same curricular goals as everybody else in the classroom. They're, they're still producing the same high quality work and meeting the same challenging targets. We're just giving them a little bit of extra support and help to get them there. And then we're Thank you so much, Andy. I think there's some really good uh, explanation. I like that analogy of a building and the scaffolding around it. I'm just actually looking at scaffolding on my uh, building at home at the moment as we speak, hoping that's not going to stay either. Um, so, Andy, lots of great strategies here. What would you say are your top tips for great teaching and learning for students with SEND? For me, I think as much as we've talked about these top tips for day, today for SEND, actually all of those things we've talked through, they're just good teaching and learning. And, and what, what will work for students with SEND will work for everybody. So all those strategies about explicit instruction, breaking down tasks into small steps, um, providing the support, providing the um, explicit instruction, followed by the guided practice and then the independent practice. If you get those right, it will massively support students with SEND, but also your entire class. So it's a win for me. Yeah, sounds fabulous. What about you, Debbie? Some of the best practice that I've ever seen is based on relationships, really. So, for instance, one young uh, learner who had um, autism um, found it really quite difficult during certain aspects of the lesson. The teacher had planned so well with the TA. She knew this child. She knew how they learned, what they learned, what they liked to learn, their favourite hobbies, everything about the child. And she planned it so the TA knew exactly what was expected of the TA and the timings uh, expected of the TA when the young person would come back into whole classroom uh, learning and also all the activities that she planned for the child were around this child's most fantastic experiences in terms of hobbies um, and cartoon characters and the child was completely hooked and felt so welcomed and included 
And once you get that kind of recipe, that's when that's when the magic starts to to really work. And we absolutely want to make our classrooms magic. So that's that's a great, great analogy there. Thanks both. This this is fantastic and, and I'm fascinated by everything you're saying and, and how important supporting students with SEND actually benefits everybody. So it's a it's a win-win. Today we've really focused on the classroom, but next week we're going to look beyond the classroom and think about what else do we need to get right for our students with SEND to excel. Although excellent classroom practice is fundamental in supporting students with SEND to make great progress, this alone isn't enough. On top of excellent teaching day in, day out, some students with SEND will need more targeted and specialist support. So the next podcast is going to consider what strong and effective targeted provision looks like and also consider how we can best work with other professionals such as speech and language therapists, psychotherapists. Thank you again, Andy and Debbie, for joining us today. You can pick up our After the Bell podcasts that are released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational. And hopefully you get a chance to listen to this on your daily commute, on your treadmill or as your focus for day. Thank you for listening to After the Bell.